This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the legislature today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. The pace is picking up at the legislature as bills pass through their originating chambers. Two bills have now passed both the House and the Senate and are on their way to the governor for his signature. The Senate got to work early this morning, convening a floor session at 9 a.m. rather than the regular 11 and finalized both bills. Senate Bill 161 allows the Department of Natural Resources to sell, lease, or otherwise dispose of property under the jurisdiction of the DNR and would be effective from passage. Companion bill, Senate Bill 162, also relates to DNR property, allowing the organization to lease certain properties for carbon sequestration. The House Committee on Health and Human Resources passed a bill Thursday which would require medical marijuana be added to the Controlled Substances Monitoring Database. Our Appalachia Health News reporter Emily Rice has more. House Bill 2756 adds medical marijuana to a controlled substance monitoring database. Supporters argued physicians should have access to these records in order to know what their patients are taking, even prescribed medical marijuana, in case of interactions with other medications. Opponents said it was unnecessary to further record and report medical marijuana patients beyond existing registries. Others voiced concerns about the privacy of patients and possibility of federal involvement with this type of registry. Rusty Williams is the patient advocate on the West Virginia Medical Cannabis Advisory Board. He spoke in yesterday's committee hearing against House Bill 2756. Uh, my biggest concern is for West Virginia medical cannabis patients' Second Amendment rights. Uh, you know, right now, the only thing that protects West Virginia uh, cannabis patients is a, is a provision in the omnibus spending bill on the national level. Now, it used to be called the Rohrbacker Farr Amendment. I'm not 100% sure what they call it now. But what that does is it prevents the DOJ from allocating any resources to go in and enforce federal cannabis laws in states that have legalized, whether that be recreationally or medically. The Medical Cannabis Act includes a statute that sets up a registry of patients, but the registry is only accessible by law enforcement with provable, probable cause. 
Williams also said he has not met a single patient or doctor who has voiced concerns that would require medical marijuana be reported to the Controlled Substances Database. Um, I do think it's important that folks realize that the medical professionals on the advisory board, none of them have gone through the continuing education courses that physicians are required to complete to certify medical cannabis patients. And in my opinion, uh, they're, they're really coming from an uneducated place on this issue. Um, I think there's a lot of fear in the conversation. There's a lot of propaganda and bad information um, thrown out there. And, and I worry that these, these potential recommendations could put, could put patients in a position where you know, they, could, they could lose their, their therapy. Delegate Amy Summers, Republican from Taylor County, supported the bill, stating that she is a licensed provider and would make use of the proposed additions to the controlled substances database in treating her patients. The bill passed the House committee and is headed to the Committee on the Judiciary and then to the House floor with the recommendation that it pass. Reporting for the legislature today, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. A presentation before the House Jails and Prison Committee yesterday sparked alarm over critical understaffing and public safety issues resulting. But Randy Yowie has our report. The committee, led by Delegate David Kelly, Republican from Tyler County, heard from Acting Corrections Commissioner Brad Douglas in a prelude to possible legislative action. Corrections officers' positions at the state jails are down a full third, with more than 1,000 vacancies and some officers working up to 16-hour shifts. Douglas told lawmakers possible worker exhaustion could affect jail system safety. Governor Jim Justice declared a jail emergency last summer, sending the National Guard in to work jail support positions. Kelly says West Virginia correction officer pay, starting at under $16 an hour, is too low for recruitment and retention, especially in competing with neighboring states. Look, I'm a conservative, I'm a, I'm a conservative, but I see that we do need to spend money in some areas, and this is an important area uh, that we need to, to address. And, and I know the governor's office is aware of that as well, and, uh, and the, exec or the executive branch is. So hopefully we can find a pathway forward to begin to do this, because we talk about retention. Well, retention doesn't work if we can't keep, if we can't hire them. And so we're, we're, we hire some, and then some leave because of burnout. Now we have to find a way to fix that. The House Health and Human Resources Committee advanced a bill this week that would limit medical care options for transgender minors. As Curtis Tate reports, it's part of a nationwide push against the rights of transgender youth and their parents. Leading medical organizations say being transgender, non-binary, or having another gender identity that doesn't match the sex assigned at birth is a normal part of the human experience. It is rare for anyone under 18 to receive gender reassignment surgery. Yet lawmakers in West Virginia and other states like Tennessee are considering bills to ban such procedures for transgender minors. None of House Bill 2007's supporters in the Health Committee explained why the bill was necessary. Delegate Danielle Walker of Monongalia opposed it. It's as personal. I meet these children and their families. I see that they are happy, living, loving, learning, embracing their true self. To Walker, it's not the job of lawmakers to interfere with the health care decisions of transgender youth and their parents. In 2021, the American Medical Association urged the National Governors Association to oppose legislative attempts to restrict transgender medical care. 
That is not our jobs. Our jobs is to protect, embrace, and make sure the people of West Virginia are thriving, not to place more barriers and boundaries on them. Gender diverse youth are at greater risk for depression and suicide, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and they're not invisible in West Virginia or Appalachia. Researchers at West Virginia University found last year that more than 7% of middle and high school students in Appalachia expressed a gender identity that did not align with the sex they were assigned at birth. Transgender people already face barriers when seeking the care they need. Another WVU study found that 61% of participants had to seek gender-affirming care outside the state. Walker says lawmakers should let transgender youth lead the way. They are unapologetic themselves and they take a stand every day all across this nation and we should follow their lead. HB 2007 will now be considered by the House Judiciary Committee. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. Concord University put its many programs on display in the Capitol Rotunda today and Randy Yowie has that story. The Southern West Virginia School is in the city of Athens in Mercer County. Concord is celebrating its 150th anniversary this year. Like many of the state's regional public colleges and universities, Concord is working to be competitive in attracting students. University Vice President for Advancement Sarah Turner says Concord's new nursing program and its rapidly expanding esports program offer degrees leading to in-demand or innovative careers. Our brand new nursing program, we just got accreditation for that in the fall and we just started teaching nursing classes and are looking forward to enrolling our first full class this coming fall. So that's that's definitely the highlight for sure. And we've got our eSports program, which is also another really popular um, newer program that that has just grown and now you can take classes in an in a interdisciplinary degree for eSports. So those have been kind of two of the newer really exciting things. It was also West Virginia Sheriff's Day at the legislature. That group of law enforcement personnel was honored and one of their fallen was remembered. Randy Yoey was there as well. Sheriffs are the only constitutional law officers that we have in this state and they've been around since the creation of West Virginia. In both the Senate and House chambers, the state's sheriffs, their deputies and staff were honored for their service to the public. As part of a House resolution, the family, friends and co-workers of Nicholas County Sheriff's Deputy Tom Edward Baker received a special connotation. Tom Baker was shot and killed in June of 2022 while serving a warrant. The resolution noted that being a law enforcement officer was a job that held his heart, and among his many attributes, he was known as a great deputy, a wonderful friend, and will be remembered for his contagious smile and laugh. We remember Deputy Tom Baker. For the Legislature Today, I'm Randy Yowie. The job of the legislative reporter is to pay attention. There's just so much going on, however, that we don't have time to catch it all and even less time to report on it all. Often on this show, on Fridays, our reporters sit down to discuss what they saw this week and what they expect the major stories will be in the coming weeks. We like to bring in reporters from other news organizations as well to get their perspectives because no one reporter can catch everything. In our Capitol studio now, we have Chris Schulz and Randy Yowie, and they're joined by the founder and publisher of Black by God, Crystal Good. Thanks, Bob. We're joined for today's reporter roundtable by our own Randy Yoey, as well as Crystal Good. Crystal Good is the founder and publisher of Black by God, the West Virginian. Crystal, thank you so much for being here. Glad to be here. Thanks and Randy, thank you as well. 
So Crystal, um, before we get into the topics of the week, I wanted to ask you about this project that you've been spearheading called the Folk Reporter Project. Do I have that right? Yes, yes. Fantastic. Yes. So, so as I understand it, you are kind of crowdsourcing coverage of the legislature. Can you tell us a little bit more about yeah. that? Yeah, so I've been working on folk reporters uh, for a couple of years. Uh, when I started Black by God two years ago, um, I had this idea of like of a folk reporters program that would engage citizens uh, specifically to pay attention to public meetings um, and then report from them. Because we know that it doesn't matter where you are in America, there's a reported shortage, local coverage is, uh, is, is being ate up by conglomerates. And so your local reporter that used to cover city councils and uh, public service commission, all those is, is, is just spread too thin. So there's nothing more powerful, I think, than citizens um, paying attention to public meetings and then sharing that with other citizens. And so that's the, that's the essence of, of folk reporters. But you know, with my background, I like to blend a little bit of folklore and, 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 and ethnographic um, principles, right? Which is really centering the person uh, and the writer and the author in the room, right? Because one of the things that I've learned um, that keep people from participating is can be something as simple as, I didn't know where to park, or I didn't want to come there, and I don't know where the bathrooms are, or, or how do I get up the stairs, um, you know, because I, I need assistance with that. And I think that a group of folk reporters can bring down some of the anxieties folks may have by sharing their process as they walk through it. Um, Okay, well, brilliant, and, and, and it's wonderful to hear that um, that's going to extend beyond the legislature into, you know, your weekly, as you said, city fingers council. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Well, you know, why that really might work well now as well is that since COVID came, a lot of these city council meetings, county commission meetings went to Facebook Live, mm -hmm. and you can cover them much easier and not worry about the parking spot or the bathroom that's right. if you're on Facebook Live. And then, with everybody being so involved in social media, boom, you just start moving it over there, and here's a whole new avenue mm -hmm. for folk reporters to dive into. And you can't get in trouble if you screenshot a Senate hearing, a Senate <laughs> committee meeting, but you better not. I've had to remind folk reporters that there's no photography allowed oh, yes. in Senate committee meetings <laughs> yes. this year. Absolutely. Well, that's brilliant, and, and those interested can uh, can go to Crystal's website. Um, but let's get into the topics of the week. You know, some of the things that we've been seeing happening here at the legislature. Uh, we saw a lot of activity around education this week. Um, the Senate Education Committee uh, brought up this third grade literacy bill. Um, but Crystal, I'm curious to hear what you've been following as far as education goes in the legislature. <sighs> Well, I believe the bill is the uh, anti-racism bill, um, which is a tricky title um, and really uh, is concerning and was so, so um, excited and encouraged to see Marshall University students up here this week with West Virginia. Young Forward West Virginia lobbying against that bill, really bringing their concerns to lawmakers uh, about the importance of teaching history and teaching true history and that even if we're a little bit uncomfortable or a lot uncomfortable, uh, these are the facts of our country uh, and our students deserve to be educated. Well, that's just brilliant. Uh, Randy, uh, what about you? I mean, as far as education, I know that that comes in and out of your coverage, but what have you seen this You week? know, we talked extensively yesterday with uh, and Senator Bob Plymel and Delegate um, Joe Statler about the third grade um, initiatives that are going on. And, now, and, and it's right down to um, 
getting 2,400 classrooms of first, second, and third graders in West Virginia uh, with assistance and aids, and whether we want to pay $100 million for that. And that's where the rub is going to come in now, is the funding. Most everybody agrees with the program, and the Senate and the House bills are, are very similar. The, the Senate wants to ease, ease it in uh, over a phase time of a couple of years. Uh, House says, boom, let's get these people in here right now. So, so that's the biggest issue. But uh, talking about minorities and such, there's, a, I know, a concern regarding discipline in schools. Oh, yes. And there's been some bills that have been presented the last couple of years over uh, the problems with school discipline. And then that, and that molds in, or melds into the concerns for behavioral health and mental health. And there's a number of bills out there right now to make sure that, not to make sure, to propose that more behavioral health and mental health professionals get into our school systems to able to curb some of the problems with discipline. Absolutely. Uh, school suspension rates uh, have been a topic of concern. Um, from black leaders in West Virginia for decades. Um, this is not a new conversation. It's not a new conversation in, in this building um, or within our school system. But I believe that 2023 is the year that uh, it is uh, still being talked about. And we know that there is funding in West Virginia, the unprecedented tsunami of funding that we have um, that could be allocated um, to education initiatives, right? Uh, we know we've got bills on the table, but really it is putting your eye on the problem of school suspensions, you know, considering. And you know, and Reverend Watts, Reverend Matthew Watts, who was a big uh, supporter of this whole program, will say, yes, it's a problem with black children, but it's also a problem with socioeconomic poor children. It's not a, a, a black issue as much as a minority issue overall. Well, specifically, Reverend Watts's uh, point is that it's a poverty issue. And that, uh, you know, that it, that has a, a significant overlap with West Virginia's black population, but his, his big thing is, is poverty. And before we move on to budget and maybe hopefully solving some of those poverty issues, um, as we're talking about student mental health in schools, we've been focusing a little bit on K through 12. You brought up universities. I do want to briefly bring up the campus carry bill okay. that we saw discussed this week. I mean, um, you know, we heard from the Democrats that one of their big concerns is mental health. I mean, that, that, is, that is one of the main topics of our era. So, I mean, Crystal, do you have any thoughts on, on this bill and, and the broader mental health it's issues? It's terrifying. Uh, campus carry is, uh, is, a, is a scary uh, thought to me, not only as a, as a, as a parent, as a citizen. Um, and watching, you know, I think it was 2019 that that bill was defeated and seeing the momentum uh, of this bill. I believe it was one of the bills that was uh, on the first day when the rules were suspended and, and sent to committee that was a part of, of, of that package. And so this bill is being fast-tracked. There's no question about it. I um, was proud to see uh, President Gee and uh, Marshall University President Brad Smith speak out against the bill. Um, and knowing that what this would mean for, for parents all across America that are considering sending their children, uh, their young adults to West Virginia, knowing that the person sitting next to them could be carrying uh, a, a, a weapon. Um, you know, I certainly believe in uh, gun rights uh, uh, and I'm a gun owner, but I do not believe that uh, that we should empower and encourage um, students, nor do I, do I think that it, there's any real value. I call it, you know, a, a solution to a problem we don't have. Um, we heard from two more universities in West Virginia today, I believe, West Virginia State and Concord University, where they come out in statements about campus carry. They weren't as vehement 
vehemently against it, as we saw Marshall and WVU, but I talked to uh, one of the administrators from Concord University this morning, and she said, then we agree with Second Amendment rights, and we understand the rights of gun owners, and we're fine with that. But she, then she brought up concerns on campus and, and the word mental health. And, and, you know, sometimes if we don't have the mental health help, the behavioral health help, that we have in any entity, in school, in campus, in business. I mean, it, it, it's pervasive throughout the, the state and country, if you ask me. But, but we have to have some of those before we think about things like campus carry. So they want to see a balance. And, and you know, it doesn't matter what issue you are talking about in West Virginia. The need for young people, right? The need for uh, our, 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 young, our citizens, our young citizens um, to stay with us. Uh, is always there. And I think that with Campus Carry, this is an opportunity for lawmakers to reach out to their constituents that are students and ask the students, how do they feel about this bill? I've talked to students from Marshall, I've talked to students from WVU, I've talked to students, college students uh, from across the state that once they are made aware of this, they are very concerned and they have a lot to say. And I would really encourage you know, lawmakers and those to reach out to their constituents, students across West Virginia's campus and ask them. And that's one of the things that I like the most about your uh, Folk Reporter project is that it gives young people the opportunity to report on these things for themselves and not wait for someone to come and ask them these questions. Now, um, moving on to one of the biggest uh, issues of the week so far, and that's the budget and specifically the taxes that will or, <laughs> depending on who you ask, won't pay for the budget. Um, and that's going to impact everything that we've talked about so far. Uh, Randy, I know that you spoke with Senator Tarr, and, and he basically said, you know, whatever's working between the governor and the House is DOA when it comes to the Senate. Those were the words he used, no-go. He said that's a no-go. So just a long story short, the 50% income tax proposal that the governor uh, proposed uh, passed the House. Let's, let's ease it in over three years, 30%, 10%, 10%. It was sent to the Senate. And <laughs> President Blair chuckled when he read the uh, send over. And then Senator Tarr, head of the Finance Committee on the Senate, told me that this just won't work. He said it won't, you know, it'll bankrupt us in three years, that we don't have the, re the residuals that, that, um, to, to replace 25% of the state's budget. And so I said, what do you propose instead? And he said, well, we want to go back to Amendment 2. We want to cut the um, business and inventory tax, cut the vehicle tax, and since we can't do that without a constitutional amendment, we'll take the governor's idea of a rebate, and let's try that. And then maybe in a couple of years, the people will figure out that this is the best way to do this is with the constitutional amendment. So they're just sticking with their argument of amendment two, and gonna try to mold it into a new ball and then throw it at us, and we'll see what happens. So, uh, Crystal, what about the budget of you has caught your eye this week? Well, I'm keeping my eye on the ARPA funding. We heard from the governor, state of state, how he was planning to allocate, I believe it's $600 million, right? A portion of that is gonna to go to roads and infrastructure, which absolutely needed. Then another portion of that uh, is gonna go into an investment fund. Um, $500 million. $500 million into an investment fund. And this is where um, I am very, <laughs> This is the opportunity, right, for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren to create some infrastructure. And I'm not talking about roads. I'm talking about what communities really need. 
That $500 million needs to be allocated across poverty census tracts in West Virginia to community-based organizations that are serving the people. This is ARPA funding that was to mitigate the effects of COVID-19, right? Um, you know, we're getting a ballpark, we're getting um, some, some, new, some new companies, new core, um, and those deals have been done. But I think we have a moment in this legislature, right, for our lawmakers to really advocate for that funding, right, to be allocated across poverty census tracts in West Virginia, right, towards education, uh, towards healthcare. And I think this is a once in a lifetime. And I, I'm, I'm really concerned that people aren't seeing this opportunity and really advocating for it um, because, you know, it can get confusing. But this to me feels like the thing that my readers uh, and folks that, you know, um, are tagging me on folk reporters and are, are, are say, we have unprecedented funding, um, but how does this impact my community? And how can this go? Example, one, it, it, a small investment into a community like the west side of Charleston can make a huge impact. When you're talking about a district like Speaker Hanshaw, Clay County, right? A small investment into someplace like Clay County, right? Can make a huge difference. And I'm just not feeling confident that this funding is being allocated in ways that directly impact the people of West Virginia, that this funding was, uh, was, was by the federal government uh, mandated and required to serve. Well, that's uh, an excellent point, and um, it's going to be very interesting to see how this budgetary um, debate develops as the Senate um, surely will present their own plan. Uh, just scratching the surface here on Friday with you two, and uh, I'm sure that we'll have much more to talk about uh, next Friday. I want to thank you both so much for joining us, and uh, back to you, Bob. Thank you. Bye, Bob. Thanks for that, all of you. That brings another day of the 60-day legislative session to a close. Tune in to the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia channel, and we stream those on YouTube as well. I'm Bob Brunner, thanks for joining us. Have a good weekend. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com.